Welcome to the New Hope Podcast. Our mission at New Hope is to engage our city with the love of Jesus, one relationship at a time. We pray this message encourages you in encountering God's love and displaying it to your city. We hope to see you soon. Hey, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. Uh, We're continuing in our series on the Ten Commandments uh, as we just kind of spend 10 weeks looking at the different Ten Commandments um, and just kind of walk through them and look at them and see uh, the beauty of how God has created us and what He calls us to in uh, a short synopsis form. There are 613 commands in the Old Testament, and these 10 uh, are highlighted and these 10 are emphasized in God's covenant when He makes a covenant with uh, Israel at Mount Sinai. And so Exodus chapter 20, I will just begin reading in verses 1, uh, verse 1, and we'll read through verse 6. If you're with me in Exodus chapter 20, just say amen. Amen. Exodus 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Verse 4. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness or anything that is in the heaven or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Uh, This is the second commandment. The first is that the Lord your God is one, and to recognize him as that and to worship him as one, um, one speaking to uniqueness, speaking to authority, speaking to the fact that he is supreme. And this one is, in short, the second commandment is to have no graven images, make no image of God. Now, when we get to some of the other commandments later on, like do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, one of the things that's unique about the Ten Commandments um, is that it's ten of them, which is a, sh- uh, a short summary, synopsis of uh, God and how we are to re- relate to him and how we are to relate to others, which all the other commands in Scripture speak to. But also within the summary of the ten, they, for the most part, are quite short, like do not murder, do not steal, do not lie, do not commit adultery. But this second commandment has a lot of description. We'll see that also with the Sabbath in a few weeks. But this one has a lot of description. And if, if we just look at that alone, not to say that there are um, uh, more important commands within the Ten Commandments, I do think uh, we see um, the first commandment all kind of, therefore, because that one's true, the rest are true. But I want us to just take heed at the fact that this is, Uh, a command that God chooses in speaking to his people to elaborate on and give description of. And as we think and begin to even apply this commandment, have no graven images, make no image of God, we'll unpack that in detail. But the short challenge is, the main point of the sermon or the challenge of this command is to have no idols in your life. Real straightforward, and that's the thing about the Ten Commandments. They don't need a lot of explanation to understand them. But this commandment, the second one, is to have no graven images. The main point simply being have no idols in your life. 
I want to start by defining an idol. A defining definition of an idol, real simple, is any person, place, or thing that we elevate above God. Any person, place, or thing that we elevate above God. There are four truths I want to unpack of what this command does for us as we think about as we think about the main point. The first is this. This commandment, why is it important? This commandment prevents a mispresentation or misunderstanding of God. So if you're taking notes, this commandment prevents a misrepresentation of God. I want you to begin to think about it. Why would God give a command to his people? You uh, shall not make for yourself a carved image, even... If that carved image is not a false god, because there's two things going on here. The first deals with the first commandment. If we make an idol and claim it to be a god separate from Yahweh, well, that's a breaking of the first commandment and the second at the same time. But the second commandment doesn't just deal with creating a god and worshiping that god separate from Yahweh, our god, god of the Bible, But it also says, even in your attempt to worship God, even in your attempt to be obedient to the first command, do not do that in such a way by creating anything that you say represents me and you bow down and worship it. Why is that? Well, the first truth, this commandment prevents a misrepresentation of God. Here's why. is because the second you and I begin to make something and say this represents God, we are already beginning to take our understanding of who God is and we are representing it in the idol itself. So, for example, if I am drawing something, and let's assume I can draw, which I can't, but let's say I can draw and I'm a a wonderful artist and I'm drawing something, I can put on paper what I imagine in my mind. What I believe to be true in mind. This is the same in writing. If I'm writing something, I'm writing it down. It's only you're able to put on paper, you're only able to make with your hands what you believe to be true. And the second that you and I even begin in our attempt to even worship God, even in our attempt to be obedient to the first command, and this was really applicable, uh, I think, to the Israelites more than it is to us, this first idea But it does still apply to us that even in our attempt to be obedient to the first command, that we say, oh, we want to worship God of the Bible first. Therefore, I'm going to make something and use that as a place or thing that represents God, and I'm going to worship him such. We are already, when we try to describe God, draw God, write God, and create an image of God, what we're doing is we are putting our perception of who God is in front of us And by default, we are limiting him to our own ideas. See, when we begin to think about who God is, there's so much about God that we can't understand. There's so much about God. In fact, I would argue that you can't know anything about God unless he chooses to reveal it to you. But even when he chooses to reveal it to you, we are finite in our understanding. And God chooses to reveal himself in small details along the way. Even when we look at the names of God, we've, as a church at different times on fall retreat, we studied uh, aspects of the name of God, and we 
We remember that the names of God are, represent the character of God. It, it, by how we describe him, it describes what we know about him. So here's the idea. That the second you and I say, begin to say, make something and say, this is like God. Then we might have one aspect of that right. But there's so much about God that we are missing. And there's so much that we are understanding. So the second that we try to make and say, this is God. We're actually limiting who he is based off our understanding. And so God says, don't even try to put me on paper in the sense of don't even try to make an image that represents me because when you do it, you're going to miss more than you get right. In a lot of ways that it, what it's doing, it's calling, uh, it's calling God's people to remember that God is infinite in who he is, that our ideas of him are still limited, but he is so much greater. And so even in a Attempt to be faithful in the first commandment of worshiping him above all and recognizing that he is one. The moment we begin to make something of him, we are missing him altogether because God is far greater than anything that you and I can simply imagine. And so the first illustration is simply this command that prevents us from misrepresentation of God. But it also, as we begin to think about creating something in God's image, it also brings us to an important theological truth. That there is already something that has been created in the image of God, and that is mankind himself. We even begin to think about passages in Colossians where it says that Jesus is the perfect image of God. He is God's perfect bearance to us. Now, I want to illustrate it this way. When we see in Mark chapter 12, there's a conversation. Someone comes to Jesus and says, hey, should basically we pay these taxes? And there's a question about taxes and should we pay the temple tax? And we should do, there's just a lot of different questions about tax. What is Jesus responds and he says, hey, give me a denarii. Hey, give me a coin. He takes the coin and he says, give unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar and render unto God what belongs unto God. But, but what did he do? He took the image, he took the coin and he said, basically, whose image do you see? Now, the image of Caesar's on the coin, which says this belongs to Caesar. And the, his point there is what, is what has the image of and printed on, that's what it belongs to. And so when he says, render under Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and then render under God what belongs to God, it's a challenge to us that God, in the same way that Caesar has imprinted his image on a coin, therefore it belongs to him, God has printed his image on us and we belong to him. And so part of the idea of this commandment is, one, not to misrepresent God and say God is this because we can't, we'll miss it, but also to be reminded that God has already stamped his image on a created thing that is to reflect him, that is to represent him, and that is mankind itself. And so as we think about do not uh, have any idols, remember a definition of idols, any place, excuse me, any person, place, or thing we elevate before God, the first commandment the thing about this commandment it does it prevents a misrepresentation of god but second this commandment protects misplaced worship of god this commandment protects misplaced worship oftentimes when we think about idols this is usually the application we're working through when we think about having idols you and i don't look at the second commandment necessarily and go well i'm not a carpenter i don't make things so i don't have any problem with creating an idol but it does as we begin to think about this idea of worship is that when we create an idol, even in our attempt to, to honor God first, if we create an idol in God's image, we're, because of our sinful hearts, 
we are quickly and easily drawn to worship the creation over the creator. This is what we talked about last week in Romans chapter 1. That we are tempted, our hearts are always led and are tempted to worship the creation over the creator. And so this commandment protects us from misplaced worship. When we begin to think about worship, worship is the thing that we elevate highest in our life. Therefore, an idol is any person, place, or thing we elevate above God. And so if we create an idol and have idols in our lives, that means there's something that we often are elevating above God. How do we know if we're elevating something above God? The questions come that help us kind of diagnose this is what are we giving our attention to? What gets the most of our attention? That is often a reflection of the thing that we elevate the most in our lives. What gets the most of our affections? Not only our attention and our time, but our passions, our emotions. What gets our affection that often helps us see what we elevate most in our life? What do we value or adore the most? What do we hold tight as a treasure in our life the most? What do we see as most valuable? That is often what we elevate highest in our life. And then what is an aspiration of ours? What is our greatest aspiration? This is often evidence of what we elevate highest in our lives. So what gets our attention? What gets our affection? What gets our adoration? And what gets the aspirations in our life is the thing that we worship. We did a series in my first year here uh, where we, the, the series kind of main point was what you pursue above all is what you worship above all. This is what we're talking about. What is it in our lives that we pursue and worship above all? And hopefully this commandment is challenging us along with the first commandment. These together are challenging us that God is first and we are to bow down to nothing Else, We are to bow down to no other aspect of creation, nothing we make or even nothing else that God has made. But instead, we bow down to God himself. See, when we see the commandment, don't make any graven images, this was a uh, normal ancient Near Eastern practice. This was very common to create things. We even see the Israelites do this with the golden calf. They, we, they even broke this commandment as the commandments being given to them. This was a normal practice, but this isn't really a normal practice for us. We don't usually make things and then worship them, but that doesn't mean this truth doesn't still apply to our life. This commandment protects us from misplaced worship. We don't make graven images, but we might drive them or we might live in them, or we might be married to them if we're putting our relationships above all, or we may just pursue them in our careers. See, the graven images or the false idols that we worship in our lives are all around us all the time. See, the issue with us as not only Christians, but as uh, mankind, is you and I are great worshipers. Worship isn't the problem. The object of our worship is often the problem. God created us for worship, and we will worship something with our lives. This commandment is challenging us. Don't fall into the temptation of worshiping anything other than God. God is first, commandment one, and therefore worship nothing else. Create nothing else in God's image and even attempt to worship it. Worship God. I want to illustrate this with the golden calf because if you know the story in Exodus 
that the Israelites created this golden calf because Moses was away from them for about a month. And somewhere along in that journey of 40 days, they decided, you know what, Moses is gone. Therefore, our connection with God is gone. And so what do we do? Where are we going to worship? How are we going to worship? Okay, I got it. Let's make a golden calf and let's worship it. And I want you to know something. Where did they get this gold from? Because remember, they were enslaved in Egypt. They, they were poor. They didn't have an, all the riches and the blessings. But as they were leaving Egypt, what did God tell them? God said, hey, go to your neighbors. Go, go and ask for these things. And God has poured out his anointing and his blessing on you. And people are going to give you these blessings. People are going to give you all this gold. And so these, the Israelites walk out of Egypt with their pockets full of jewelry and gold. I mean, it was, a, it was a great exodus in that sense. They, they had all this gold. And what do they do? After this moment of going, where is Moses? What's going on? Immediately their hearts said, you know what? God's blessed us with all this gold. And this, so let's do this. God's given us this gold. Let's take all this gold and let's make an image and we will worship that image. Listen to this. Oftentimes, or better yet, anytime, we take what God intended to be a blessing, which was supposed to be used for God, and we use it for ourselves, we've created an idol. I want you to see, the golden calf was what? A blessing of gold that God gave his people, intended to be used for him, and be intended to be used to uh, uh, enrich God's people for God's glory. And what they did, they took that blessing, and they made a golden calf out of it, and it became an idol. It's it, see. It's real easy at times for our hearts, and this is what I think we need to hear, I need to hear. It's so easy to take the blessings of God that God's given us, intended for his use and for his glory, and for us to turn around and worship them instead, whether that be our jobs, whether it be our relationships. I I, want to be honest here. I love my wife. And it's not that hard for me to turn her into an idol. It's not that hard for me to turn my kids into an idol where they get all my attention. They get all my adoration. They get all my affection. And if I'm not careful, my whole life is revolved around my family. Now, I love my family. and I'm not challenging you to ignore them. I'm just challenging you as I challenge myself. Don't elevate them above God. That God should get our ultimate attention, our affections, and our adorations. And this commandment is God calling us and protecting us and protecting our hearts from misplaced worship. So we don't create any image, and that prevents us from misrepresenting God in a way that he's not. And this commandment also protects us from misplaced worship. And thirdly, this commandment provokes God's jealousy. It provokes God's jealousy. Verse 5, You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. See, God created you for you to worship him. God created you for you to live your life enjoying him and glorifying him. That's why he created you. And a couple of things that go with that is, one, God deserves our worship from our worship unto him. He deserves it just simply because he deserves it. He deserves it because of who he is. But he also deserves it because of what he's done for us in the person of Jesus Christ. He has earned it. He has, we said last week, he has built us and he has bought us. He created us and he died for us. He has built us and he's bought us and that is enough. And he is worthy of worship. 
And God is not okay with us just deciding to worship something else. He is jealous for us. He is jealous for worship. And it is okay because he is fully righteous and fully holy. It is okay and right for him to want worship from us. But not only does he deserve it, but he also knows that we were created for it. And therefore, we will not find our completeness apart from it. It is in worship of God that we find our, we find our purpose and why we are created. It's where we find our wholeness. It is where God redeems us in covenant relationship. And our worship to him is where we are complete. And so not only is he jealous for us for his glory, but he's jealous for us for our good. And this commandment challenges and continues to call us. And it provokes God's jealousy, which is a good thing. If God wasn't jealous for his worship, he would allow us to stay in our idol worship. But because he is jealous for his worship, he pursues us and calls us back to himself. It's because he's jealous for our worship that he laid down his life for us so that we would turn to him in faith. The fact that God is jealous for us is a good thing. You know, I want you to imagine a relationship where one person um, is unfaithful to a spouse. And imagine the spouse who had been mistreated in that adultery just said, you know what, it's no big deal, I don't really care. Is that an example of love or lack of love? See, because I love my wife, that if she was unfaithful to me, it would produce in me a jealousy. It would produce in me an anger. It would produce in me a hurt because of my love for her. And so I want us to see it is because God loves us, it is because God cares for us, that when we do not worship him, it produces in him a jealousy for us and for his worship. This is a good thing. It speaks to how God adores and loves you and deserves our worship. This commandment prevents a misrepresentation of God. It protects misplaced worship. This commandment provokes God's jealousy. And lastly, this commandment promises blessings. It promises blessings. Verse 5 again, You shall not bow, bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to the thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So much could be said about the idea of how what we do affects generations to come. But I want us just to see clearly the emphasis of us choosing to worship him produces a far greater impact and a far greater blessing for generations to come than us choosing not to worship him. Now, we should heed the warning of what it means to not worship him, but don't you see the steadfast love of thousands upon those who keep the commandments of God and love and worship him? We could really just think about this and the simplicity of the impact of parents that have on their kids. Whether you admit it or not, or whether you like it or not, you're probably way more like your parents than you want to admit, in good ways and in bad ways. And even if you're not like them, you recognize, and we all recognize, that our parents have a great impact on our lives. For a number of reasons, they have a great impact on our lives. And so even just talking about that, imagine parents who are faithful to this commandment and to the commandments of God, the impact that that has on children. 
When we say we care about the next generation, one of the best things we could do to model that and to train up the next generation is just be faithful and elevate God first in our lives and in all that we do. That we elevate God first in how we give our attention, how we give our affections and our aspirations and our adorations, how we spend our time, how we spend our resources. The greatest impact I can have on my children is just loving Jesus first and above all and modeling that and allowing them to imp- allowing that to impact their lives for generations to come. See, the second commandment, have no idols or create no graven image, is that we are called to not elevate any person, place, or thing above God. That we recognize that when We try to say God is like this and we are limiting him. Or if we take anything in creation and we worship it, then we are not worshiping God. This is a call and a commandment to worship God. And so I ask you, I want to bring us back to the point I made that we are all great worshipers. Worship is not our problem. The object of our worship is the problem. And I want to tell you that this week for us, I want to take some time, and I want us just to to meditate on that truth. And I want you to be honest and ask yourself the question. Maybe you, even tonight when you go home or sometime this week, really need to spend some time with a journal and a piece of paper and go, what do I give the most of my attention to? What do I give the most of my affection to? What, What is it that when I have free time I want to do? What is it when uh, the, the day's over and, and maybe, you know, you, you have this finally, this maybe this moment to yourself, what is the first thing that you want to give your time to? Now, that's not to say every single time it should always be, well, I need to go pray and read my Bible, but it is to say, are, are you ever in moments, is, is Christ coming first and foremost in your thoughts and in your attitudes? And so your response to you that I would encourage all of us to make is simply, what is it that I'm worshiping with my life? And be honest, and I'll be honest to say that this, this, is, this, is, this is a struggle that's not going away anytime soon. It's just not. This is a struggle that you and I are going to have to continue to work through and process through because our hearts, I said it last week, John Calvin said it, our hearts are idle factories. It's what our hearts do is they create idols for us to worship. And we turn to these things and we worship them because we think they are going to make us happy. And we think they are going to what is going to ultimately please us. And God says, hey, if you do that, you're missing the greater thing. You're missing me because I'm not in the creation in any one aspect of creation. I am above creation. And you as my creation should focus not on anything I've created or that you have created, but instead focus on me. Do not worship the things of this world, but worship me. Yes, cherish them. I cherish my family. I cherish the roof over my head. I cherish my car, especially when it's cold. And I cherish this or I cherish that. I'm grateful for my job and my career and my calling. I'm grateful for my studies. I'm grateful for Netflix at times. I'm grateful for these things. I'm grateful. But we must not elevate anything. See, the Christian life really is that simple in a lot of ways. Just live God with God first in your life. It's simple to understand, but it can be very difficult to do. It requires this ongoing life of going today. I lay down 
my idols, and I worship you, Jesus. Worship is not our problem. The object of our worship is often the problem. And so today, as a call to response, I want you to answer the question honestly. What is it that I worship above all? What is it that I pursue above all? What is it that has, has captured my heart? I want to spend some time praying, and then we're going to respond in, in worship. And I, I want to be intentional that when we sing and we worship here in a moment, it is worship, but it's intentionally a response song. It's intentionally a time for you to respond, because I know that it's real easy for us to, after the benediction, to dismiss and to go about our day and to go about our week and to go about going, all right, I got to get to dinner. I got I to gotta do this for the kids. And I got to, well, you don't have to get them ready for school. We don't have school tomorrow. You know, but normally a lot of times that may be what you're thinking. And, and you, it's so easy for us to move on. And we never actually take a moment and go, okay, God, I, how, how are you calling me to respond? What is God calling you to do based off the truth of God's word today? It may be a, a, a change of belief that needs to happen in your heart and mind. It may be an action step of needing to just confess something or reorient something. It may be an intentionality to, to put something away from your life for a season because you recognize that it has, it has become uh, more important in your life than God. And so maybe there may be a season you have to put it away and you set it aside. Whatever it is, whether it's a change of thought or whether it's an action step that God's calling you to do, I want you to try to answer the question, God, how can I apply this this truth today? What is it from your word and how that, it, that you're challenging me with and you've been convicted by and how can I apply this truth? Would you pray with me as we just begin that reflection? We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can email us at info at newhopeny.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for those outlets is New Hope NYC. Our website is newhopeny.org. If you are in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 164-2 Gothels Avenue in Jamaica, Queens. We're praying for you and we hope to see you soon.